0: Welcome to the American Academy of Dermatology's Dialogues in Dermatology podcast series. This podcast is certified for CME credit. For credit information, visit Dialogues in Dermatology at aad.org slash OLC. The information in this CME activity is for continuing education purposes only. It is not intended to establish a standard of care and is not meant to substitute for independent medical judgment of a health provider relative to the diagnostic, management, and treatment options of a specific patient's medical condition.
1: At the conclusion of this learning activity, listeners should be able to discuss appropriate use of superficial radiation therapy for non-melanoma skin cancer. Hello and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. The roots of clinical radiology date back to the late 1800s when the very first use was in the context of a dermatologic setting. In 1986, Leopold Freund, the father of radiation oncology, used an X-ray to epilate a giant hairy nevus on a child's back. A few decades later, dermatologists in Europe and the United States began to use the same x-ray method to treat skin cancers, recalcitrant dermatoses, eczema, psoriasis, and other inflammatory diseases. In larger doses, radiotherapy could be used to treat active vulgaris, tinea capitis, and plantar warts. As time progressed, these patients began experiencing side effects. In addition to the unfavorable side effect profile, the emergence of steroids, and Mohs micrographic surgery initiated the decline of radiation for benign cutaneous disease. Since then, radiation therapy has evolved and is regaining popularity in dermatology. With these recent advances and improvements, radiation is an excellent therapeutic intervention that clinicians should consider in the appropriate setting.
2: Welcome to this episode of Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Moral Kabarian-Skelsey, clinical associate professor at Georgetown University, and I'm your host today. And I'm privileged to be speaking to Dr. Armand Cognetta, who is one of the country's foremost experts and experienced practitioners of radiation therapy. Dr. Cognetta is professor in the Department of Clinical Sciences, Chief Division of Dermatology at Florida State University College of Medicine, Fellowship Director of Mohs and Procedural Dermatology Program, He's published extensively on skin cancer and radiation, has authored the radiation therapy textbook. Welcome, Dr. Cognetta. Thank you so much for being here. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about the history of radiation therapy in dermatology?
0: The history of radiation and dermatology goes back to our roots as dermatologists. There's a famous story. In fact, it's the first clinical use of radiation for any type of therapy. was by Leopold Freund, F-R-E-U-N-D, of Freund's adjuvant. He was an intern under Kaposi, who was a professor in Vienna. And he read about Rentkin's discovery in 1895 of x-rays that were there was a leopold tube that they were using and in order to protect the very thin aluminum window of this tube he had a piece of cardboard on that had been painted with a barium heavy metal and it just so happened that even though the tube was on this barium concoction started to glow and rankin recognized this as a new form of energy in the spectrum of light but not visible so he called it x-ray well Very soon after, he won the Nobel Prize in 1901, but in 1896, Leopold Freund actually used one of these tubes because he had heard reports of people who were experimenting with X-ray using their forearms to get a dose meter, either through redness or epilation of skin. And he had a child come in with a giant hairy nevus on the back, and he actually epilated this child's back there's a great article on that. By 1901, Sequerra, who was in London, was treating some skin cancers with this method. And William Pugh, who was at Penn, was also treating here. And at the 1901 Academy of the time, it was the American Society of Dermatology, there was a presentation on this. So Leopold Freund was considered the father of radiation oncology. He started his life as a dermatologist. He ended up becoming a radiation oncologist, and he was a strong advocate of fractionated therapy. Back then, there was big arguments of large doses at one to kill a tumor or fractionating them over a period of time in order to protect the skin. So he went on to again become the father of modern radiation oncology. Dermatologists were using radiation in the early 1900s. Skip forward to 1921. McKay was the head of dermatology at New York Skin and Cancer, which is now NYU. He wrote the first textbook on this. And in this textbook, he said that these x-rays are wondrous things, but they should be only used by people who really know what they're doing and understand them. And then back then they had a great understanding of radiation radiation. Both photon radiation with superficial X ray and also with various isotopes, radioactive iodine, radioactive gold, iridium, things like that. And they were able to place little radioactive pellets or needles on patients for three hours, and it would actually kill the cancer or use superficial X ray tubes. So there's no question that dermatologists have been using this since the early 1900s. And it fell out of favor around 19. 50, 60, when steroids became available, because one of the things that radiation was used for was for recalcitrant dermatoses, various things, eczema, psoriasis, things like this. And Grenz Ray was actually used. Grenz Ray is the softest form of x-ray. It's just above ultraviolet. It's a very, very soft x-ray that is absorbed in the first 0.5 millimeters of skin. So radiation was used both for cancer and for inflammatory diseases for many, many years before steroids were available and before Mohs surgery was available. In the 70s and 80s, when Mohs became available and large tumors could be approached with this, radiation did fall into disfavor. But I started practicing in 1984 and half the dermatologists back then still had some form of radiation, either Grenz Ray or superficial units. And in my training, I was trained to use it. And in our exams for our boards, we had to know the radiation physics and we did.
2: We've all seen this resurgence now of radiation therapy. What kinds of patients are you now treating with radiation?
0: I'm a Mohs surgeon and I love Mohs surgery. Mm -hmm. I think it's the greatest thing for any kind of cancer. It should be used for other cancers, breast cancers. other. It's the most accurate way of checking margins. But there are some patients that walk in the room that you know immediately aren't up for two or three hours of most surgery. These patients have medical comorbidities, they have cardiac issues, they're on blood thinners. Everybody would see is on Zoralto. Some of these patients, if they have extensive lesions on the scalp or nose, do risk bleeding and post-op complications. We look at the patient first and we see if they're frail or have medical problems. If they're over 70, these are some of the criteria we use. Then we look at the tumor. If the tumor is not an aggressive tumor and one that radiation would have a good chance of curing, we do offer it to these patients. And probably about 3 to 4 5% of our patients choose radiation over surgery. And since we're very careful about the tumor type and since we as dermatologists are better than any other specialties out there to understand the different forms of tumors, how deep they are, how aggressive they are where they begin and end, I think we're the best people to delineate whether or not something is amenable to superficial x-ray or electron beam for that matter versus surgery. And it's mainly the elderly and the frail patients that I use the radiation on. It's mainly to try to avoid skin grafts on scalps and places like that. And if you choose your patients wisely, you can have very high cure rates comparable to most surgery maybe not as good, because you cannot see where the tumor begins and ends. But with an adequate border and the right depth and dosage and fractionation, you can give the patient a good result with virtually no pain.
2: You have published a very robust study on your 10-year experience with radiation therapy. Can you talk about those results in terms of cure rates and sequelae?
0: I was doing x-ray for a long time. Pretty soon I saw there weren't many people doing x-ray. There were courses at the academy, very robust and large courses at the academy the whole time when I was in my 30s and 40s. And all of a sudden it seemed like x-ray was starting to fade and we couldn't get any new x-ray machines. They weren't building any. I was at a meeting, I was giving a talk at the World Congress on leningo maligna in Amsterdam. And I walked out of the course and I see a new X-ray machine being made, a solid state X-ray machine being made in England. And I said, oh my gosh, there's a new X-ray machine. And I almost purchased that one. It was water-cooled. Then I came back and talked to my radiation oncologist and he said, well, there's another machine out there. It's called Topex. It was made by an engineer that did all the engineering for GE. So long story short, this gentleman made a very good machine, Topex. It went from 50 to 100 kV. And I purchased one of those, and it was a great purchase. It was solid state. It was much safer than the old machines that had variable KV, variable milliamps. You could put filters in, and you forget to take the filter out and get, get a wrong dosage or misadministration. These ones were all locked in. And it made a big difference in terms of I felt then that radiation had a chance of of making a comeback to dermatologists. And the physics of radiation is simpler than a superficial radiation for photons. It's simpler than the physics of most of the laser platforms, Merrill, that you use every day in your practice. Okay, there's a depth dose and you can calculate this depth dose and you can do something called a TDF a tumor dose fraction and come up with a treatment plan that's very simple in five fractions or 20 fractions if you wish. You make more money doing more fractions. I use the old NYU protocol, and this fractionation scheme has served me for 30-something years. So I decided to do a study just to show that this was an effective method. And we collected all the cases between 2000 and 2010. Henry Heaton, who is my nephew, who now uh, is a motor surgeon in New York, did a lot of this study. Dr. Green, my partner, did. We had something like 1,500 patients with 700 150 lesions between them, and we followed them from between 2000 and 2010, and we found that we had a 2% raw recurrence rate with basal cells, and a maybe 2.6 with squamous cell. When we applied Kaplan-Meier, it dropped to a 95% cure rate for basal cells and a 94.5% with squamous cells. And we still felt that that was a very good outcome. And we followed these patients on average 30 months. I mean, most of our patients are referrals. I don't always see them back. So we didn't get to see them back. But when you don't see them all back, the recurrence rate is up by kaplan meyer as you know. We did everything we can not to skew the results in our favor. If a tumor came up within the radiation field or penumbra of the radiation Nine years and 364 days after the first cancer, we counted it as a recurrence. And if there was ever a question about a recurrence, we had two other doctors look at it. And if there's any doubt, we called it a recurrence. And we had about 45 or 50 recurrences during that time. But that's based on, I think, the fact that I was taught very well in residency and also by the person I took over practice, Stuart Smith that you had to really immobilize patients. You had to make a shield big enough. You had to make sure you administer the radiation the same way every time. I'm the only guy that's ever pushed the button for radiation for me. I don't let anybody else do it for me. I wanna make sure the setup's correct and everything. So you can achieve a 2% recurrence rate, uh, true recurrence rate if you're careful and you choose your your lesions Mm -hmm. well. If you use radiation as a substitute for MOE's or instead of MOS or don't have all the tools in your chest and, and just try to use radiation, I think your cure rates aren't going to be that high.
2: What kind of side effects do you see and how do you mitigate them?
0: When we do radiation of the skin, the good thing about photon radiation is 100% of the dose hits the skin surface. That 100% kills the cancer cells of the surface. It attenuates 50% by what's called the D1 half. So most of the time we shoot at 50 KV and the D1 half is 4.8 millimeters. So we're given between the skin surface and 4.8 millimeters deep, we're losing 50% of the dose. And that is a concept that is called the D1 half concept that was promulgated at Penn. And you do get a lot of redness. You get a lot of desquamation. Anything you do with radiation, if it's effective, is going to cause either dry desquamation or wet desquamation and ulceration. But the normal skin quickly recovers. So we do five fractions. Two weeks later, they get a pretty red reaction. And then four weeks later, you can't tell we did anything. It leaves a a little white area there that over time does get more prominent. Those are called late sequelae but the patients don't get sick. It doesn't get into their bloodstream. They don't have any radiation sickness at all. We're using cones and lead shields, So we're really uh, limiting where we're using the radiation. They're not getting large amounts of radiation like you would for head and neck tumors. So the radiation side effects are actually the effects that make it effective. It kills cancer cells by free radical induction and damage of DNA and cells that are rapidly turning over.
2: We all have patients with multiple tumors on the lower extremity and the pre-tibia areas that heal poorly. What's the response to radiation in areas of poor vascularization?
0: Well, that's a good question. And again, I was trained during a time when Dr. Goldschmidt, he wrote the textbook I later authored and after him, Panason did. Dermatologists back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s did not radiate the lower leg. And my theory on the lower leg is take your pain now, cut it out, excise it. If it's a squamous cell, do a graft or close it. The lower leg is harder to heal than anywhere in the body because of its blood supply. One of the things that makes radiation work so well is a rich oxygen supply because we're dealing with the development of free radicals in radiation sites. So the lower leg has a lower blood oxygen level and I myself don't. Now, I know some practitioners have and have done it very successfully, but we constantly see patients who went to radiation oncologists after squamous cells re- recurred two or three times, and this is probably pathology, and then decided to, okay, give up. We're going to go ahead and do the surgeon say, I can't do it anymore. Let's just get it radiated like it's a big eraser. And then they end up having real problems healing the lower leg. So most radiation oncologists are at least aware of the fact that the lower leg is a very hard place to heal. Once you've radiated the lower leg, the late sequelae happen quickly. And if they get any squamous cells in those areas, it's much more difficult. So again, my theory is go ahead. And if it's on the lower leg, I would rather excise it. So I only radiate the neck above uh, scalp face and and, uh, there's Plenty of good cases for that. I would rather excise or do destructive therapies on the arms, back, and on the lower legs if it's the basis of the vasosphobic cell. I would prefer excision.
2: When you're fractionating, how many treatments approximately does that entail?
0: So, my fractionation is the old NYU protocol. And Al Kopp taught me this, and Gladstein. These guys were used radiation for. Patients from all over New York, and they would just randomly assign them to radiation or surgery, and they did a lot of good studies in this in this manner that that are still very pertinent to today. So I use the NYU protocol, which is 680 centigrays times five. That gives you a TDF of 100. 100 is perfect, and you want to have a TDF between 90 and 110. So these guys knew what they were doing. It's a time honored uh, modality, and I just follow that. Now, if I have somebody that's cosmetically sensitive, I might do seven or nine fractions. And many of my colleagues do 10, 15 fractions, which I have no problem with. The radiation oncologists routinely do 25 or 30 fractions, okay? And that fractionation is to minimize both early acute sequelae and late sequelae. But my patients are farmers and fishermen. They live on average 50 to 70 miles away. They don't want to come back 15, 20 times. And you've met some of them and you've seen me do the x-ray. You've been down in my office to see this. We do. And if they're really cosmetically concerned, we'll send them a radiation oncologist. We have a very good relationship with radiation oncology, just like we do plastics.
2: Yeah, I can imagine that for patients, especially with decreased mobility and your patients are coming from very far away, it's it's difficult for them to come on you know multiple occasions.
0: That's why when I first started practice and we had gold iridium needles, Stuart Smith had them here. And these are needles you could just place on the cheek and leave them in the room for two hours and 30 minutes. And they didn't have to come back at all. And that's a mono energetic. It's almost like a laser beam. It's a pure, the x-ray we use is polyenergetic. energetic. It's, it's a Gaussian curve, you know, going up from the tube energy down to the filtration of the tube window. So the monoenergetic energy that's available from these different isotopes is, is actually the purest form of radiation. but it's because of smart bomb, uh, dirty bombs and things like this and the, the nuclear uh, Oak ridge. Uh, that's a very good method. It's called brachiotherapy. Now there's something called electronic brachiotherapy, which is totally different, but brachiotherapy or monoenergetic a beam that was used in the past, but it's too complicated to use here in the office due to restrictions due to the fact that, these are radioactive materials that could be used destructively in the world.
2: Are you doing adjuvant therapy?
0: No, when I need adjuvant therapy, which is about twice a week, I call Bill Mendenhall down at Shands and get these patients. These are mainly for large perineural invasion, uh, swaying cell cases. I get them to all get a consult there. And then I get them to come back to Tallahassee to have their therapy under their guidance. I think it's best to go to a tertiary center to get advice for whether or not you need adjuvant therapy or not. But once they prescribe what they need, and once they make a recommendation, these machines are ubiquitous, and there's no difference in one in Tallahassee than in Gainesville. So some patients prefer to have all their treatments in Gainesville, but most people would like to be close at hand. So our beams are not deep enough. Electron beams can go much deeper, and they actually spare the skin. That's why they were first used. And that's why they're really not appropriate for radiation of skin lesions. In other words, if they equilibrate it, 10 or 12 millimeters below the skin surface and maximize their dose there, you're really missing the oomph that you want at the skin surface. You've got to bolus that up with something that's in, uh, tissue, it's called tissue bolus, or a material that actually makes the beam attenuate at the skin surface.
2: Can you comment on the different equipment systems that are available now for in-office treatment? Yeah,
0: Yeah, there are. There are starting to be a various number of machines out there. Uh, Extral has some. There's various ones. I still have the original Topex machine, and Topex was then bought by Census, and Census has continued to make them, and they're very robust machines. They work well, but there are a variety of other machines out there available at the Academy, both for superficial radiation and for what's now called electron brachiotherapy. Electron brachiotherapy has higher codes. You get more reimbursement for it. But in my mind, I like the superficial x-ray because you have a beam that is collimated over 15 or 25 centimeters rather than two centimeters. Okay, so you have a more, the beam comes in more at a perpendicular angle to the skin surface. And it's the classic way of treating lesions with phototherapy. We call it photo, x-ray is photon therapy and it's the classic way of treating lesions. You you use various tube lengths and various tube widths and even cones to treat larger areas.
2: So what advice would you give to dermatologists who are interested in initiating radiation therapy in their offices?
0: Well, we had a course, 2011 was the last year the Academy didn't have a formal course. I was able to get a course approved, it was a focus session, two hours, and it was four of us would give the talk on physics and practical applications and blocking and shielding and the physics of radiation. And many people attended these courses. The the course went on for seven years. I was a director for five years. i turned it over to Dr. Green after the fifth year, because I really want the next generation to be doing this. But after seven years, it got sunsetted. And I think the academy should consider having another course. There are three or four hundred. People in our academy, including many, many, most surgeons who are using X-ray and having a forum to get together and compare notes and compare different methods and fractionation schemes and whether or not to use it on the lower leg or not, is very helpful. And so that would be the first thing. Giving it back. There's a good textbook on it. I co-authored it, but it's a continuation of books that go all the way back to McKay through Goldschmidt through Panazon. And no doubt there'll be another edition coming out soon by somebody. I also have offered and never charged to have people come spend a couple of days with me because on a given day, we'll start two or three x-ray treatments. And that's how you really learn. You have to send a text, somebody who can make the shields, learns how to make the shields, learn how to position and block the patients to us in order for us If you really want to learn, you have to send somebody that will do the everyday setting up the tubes, warming up the tubes, getting your calibrations right, stuff like that. There are some technical things that have to be done that you as a physician will have to supervise and sign off on. So sending somebody who is, I send one of my lab techs, my lab techs does most of that for me, and he is very adept at that. So... There's a lot of little nuances to learn. I learned them over the years. I learned them when there were still courses uh, given by others. And I learned them from Stuart Smith. And the one thing I did learn is don't radiate something you're not sure of. If you don't think you can have a 95, 98% chance of cure, use another method or send them out because uh, recurrence from x-rays are very, very difficult to heal. All most surgeons know that. And you don't want to be the one that caused it.
2: We have a lot of patients with skin of color who suffer from large keloids, are you able to treat patients with keloids with radiation?
0: Yes, superficial radiation is the time-honored method for treating keloids. Remember, electron beam wasn't available except in research centers in the 50s or 60s. It's been a relatively new entity. And so even though it's used, adapted for keloids, superficial radiation was the first modality to be used for keloids. And I'm proud that George Cohen, who's been our residency director here in our program, who just stepped down a year ago, spent five years with me and really did a lot of basic research on radiation therapy for keloids. And he basically read everything that was read and saw everything he did. And he's somebody that doesn't believe everything he reads or says. And he came up with a very simple a method of you excise the keloid and then a week later you give about 1200 centigrades one dose uh, to these patients and and follow them up with uh, close clinical follow-up sometimes with steroids and stuff like that but it's a wonderful modality for that and especially keloids of the ears and ones that are you know small enough that uh, our radiation machines can handle them
2: that's great you keep offering that thank you so much this was a terrific So appreciate your sharing your expertise and your time and being at the forefront of this therapy, which has been so useful for our patients.
1: Thank you, Meryl. Non-melanoma skin cancers are among the most common malignancies seen in the Caucasian population. When Mohs surgery became the gold standard for treating these cancers, the use of radiation steadily declined. However, with recent advances in radiation therapy, there has been a reemergence of the use of superficial radiation treatment, or SRT, specifically. Dosages are based on the International Unit, or GRAY, also known as GY, and the dose delivered in one treatment session is known as a fraction. The dosing and frequency of treatment depend on the size of the tumor and the patient's age. Collaboration with a specialized radiation physicist allows clinicians to calculate a patient-specific treatment plan. SRT machines deliver low-voltage photons that spare deeper structures and target the skin specifically, making SRT an ideal choice for the treatment of cutaneous malignancies. A study performed by the interviewee himself, Armand B. Cognetta Jr., looked at 1,715 histologically confirmed primary cutaneous basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma treated with superficial x-ray therapy over the course of 10 years. The recurrence rates of both BCC and SCC combined at 2 and 5 years were 1.9% and 5% respectively. The Kaplan-Meier curve showed a 95% cure rate for basal cells and a 94.5% with squamous cells. The tumors with the most significant increase in likelihood for recurrence were those on male patients and those with a diameter greater than 2 centimeters. So these would be important characteristics to consider as you are choosing treatment options. The indications for using radiation versus most surgery depend on a patient-centered approach focusing on the patient's tumor and their comorbidities. If a patient is older than 70 years old at the time of presentation, they would be an ideal candidate for radiation treatment. As patients become more frail, they may not be able to handle an extensive Mohs surgery as well as a 50-year-old patient would. If the patient has significant comorbidities or is on anticoagulation, wound healing could be hindered by extensive surgery like Mohs. Regarding the tumor, non-aggressive tumors are more likely to respond well to radiation. Sites that require complex closure techniques like the nasal tip and bridge, medial canthus and helix and eyelid can lead to less than optimal cosmetic outcomes. Thus, these patients could be considered for radiation treatment as well. No need to shield the treatment rooms or plan for special infrastructure because SRT does not have the same penetration abilities as it is so low dose. Devices are becoming more commercially available and easily promotable throughout the office. When considering the risks and benefits of performing SRT, it is crucial to assess the side effect profile. A study performed by Schudel et al. followed 1,267 non-melanoma skin cancers treated with SRT. The side effects most commonly reported were hypopigmentation, telangiectasia, and erythema. Acute reactions consist of redness and discomfort and can be seen for up to four weeks after treatment. These acute reactions can be treated with mild emollients. Late sequela consists of an enlarging hypopigmented patch, which may be irreversible in some cases. Although most surgery remains the gold standard for the treatment of non-melanoma skin cancer, the advancements in SRT have made this intervention a viable option that clinicians should consider. Although studies on the re-implementation of dermatologic radiation are currently limited, additional training and better education should be considered as radiation continues to regain popularity. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your editor-in-chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts, We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.